We're studying the book of Colossians, and one of the great things about preaching verse by verse through a book is that the text chooses the subject. And this is a subject I think that we all need to hear. It's on being heavenly minded. Look at Colossians 3 verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above. We ought to be heavenly-minded people. So let me tell you the story of someone who I believe really was a heavenly-minded person. He was the greatest evangelist of the 1800s. His name is D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, because of his popularity here and in the UK, could have been wealthy. In fact, he had to figure out ways to give away money, and I'll tell you how. He and his song leader basically pioneered the contemporary Christian music of that day and time. Up till then, they'd had hymns, but they'd not had anything peppy where you would do the the words of an old hymn and then add a chorus. Like, for instance, they took Alas and Did My Savior Bleed and Did My Sorrow, My Sovereign Die from, from Isaac Watts. And then they put that with At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light. They added a peppy chorus to it. Well, people fell in love with that. And they enjoyed singing it at the meetings. They said, we want to take that home with us. So they printed a songbook. And this songbook sold an incredible number of copies. And they had a dilemma. What are we going to do with the prophets? Now, to his credit, Moody made a commitment that he would never take a penny from the songbooks or anything he ever wrote, any book. In fact, he made a statement. He said, Lord, let millions pass through my hands as long as none of it sticks. I like that. So they took the money, and that's where Moody Bible Institute was built. That's where two other colleges were built. That's where a conference center was built. And he upheld many other ministries because of that. In 1892, he was preaching in Britain, had a son with him. And during his time of preaching, he suffered a very severe heart attack. His son went with him to see the doctor there in Britain, and the doctor said, this damage is so extensive You have to quit preaching. If you continue preaching, you will not live long. You will die. And his son basically looked at his dad and said, did you hear the doctor? And he agreed temporarily and gave his word to his son, I'm going to quit preaching. And then they got on a boat to come across the ocean to come back to America. Halfway across the ocean, the boat began to sink. Now, you know from the story of, say, the Titanic, they never put enough lifeboats on. So that meant they would put the women and children in the lifeboats, and the men were expected to stay on the boat and die. Well, as they were sinking, the women were gone, the children were gone, they were left on deck. All of a sudden, over the horizon came a ship that came there just in time to rescue them, and his life was spared. And Moody said that he heard God that day. It was like God was saying, I'll tell you when to quit and I'll tell you when you're going to die. And so he decided to be faithful till he died. Now that was 1892. 1893 may have been his greatest year of ministry. Chicago was holding its World's Fair. What an event. People, not only from all over America, but from all over the world came there. He rented an auditorium right in front of the main gate and held continuous meetings with himself and others. 
Did you know that there were days when more people went to his meetings than went through the turnstiles of the Chicago's World, World's Fair? And he saw so many people come to Christ. That would not have happened if he had quit preaching like he was told. In November of 1899, those who have read his story and know the facts are pretty much convinced by this time he was in congestive heart failure. He must have sensed something was wrong with his heart. He came ready to do a several week work in Kansas City in November of 1899, being the most famous evangelist in America, the reporters were there, and he made a strange statement. He said, someday soon you're going to read that D.L. Moody is dead, don't you believe it? At that moment, I'll be more alive than I've ever been. A few sermons later, he had just finished a sermon on excuses when he had that next major heart attack, the one that the doctor had warned him about. And he never really recovered. They put him on a train and sent him back home. He would die less than a month later. The best he could do in those last days was possibly sit up, but even then he had a struggle breathing because of the weakness of his heart. His son came in to see him one time and said, Dad, saw him struggling to breathe. Dad, I'm going to pray that God heals you. And he went, no, son, don't do that. And then he said this, so much I love is over there now. Well, his family was around his bed when he died, and they have given us his last words. As he was dying, he said, earth is receding. Heaven is opening. If this is death, it's glorious. And then he said, Emma, I see the children, and he died. In the two previous years, he'd lost two small grandchildren. And God had arranged for those two grandchildren to welcome him into heaven. Folks, that's a picture of a heavenly-minded person. Now, let me say this. I know that a lot of folks in this room are sure you're going to heaven, but you may not be able to say like Moody said, so much I love is over there. You're kind of dreading it because, can we be honest? A lot of folks aren't looking forward to heaven because they think it will be boring. The Far Side, which is a satirical cartoon, one time had a picture of a man with a discouraged face holding his harp sitting on a cloud. He said, I wished I'd bought, brought a magazine. <laughs> and, and if heaven is just sitting on a cloud with a harp, I'd agree with him. But that's not the picture we have of heaven. It's going to be glorious. Let me tell you a better way to look forward to heaven. There was a son who was sitting next to his father. His father was about to die. And his son talked to him and says, Dad, how do you feel that you, now that you're about to go into heaven? And I love his, this father's response. He said, I feel like a child on Christmas Eve. That's how our hearts ought to be, hadn't it? Like a child on Christmas Eve. Now let me share with you a powerful quote from one of my favorite Christians, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was responding to something often said about us. People say we Christians are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Here's his response. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Because, my brother and sister, for us, heaven is a certainty. Now, I want to give you a contrast. You don't have to put these scriptures on the screen. Let me just remind you that the Bible tells us that Jesus right now is at the right hand of God. 
But also in chapter 1, verse 27, it says that Christ is in me. So if you'll get this paradox, if I were to ask you, where's Jesus now? You could say he's right now at the right hand of God, but you could also say he's living inside of me. Well, this passage goes on and says that I'm here in Hendersonville, but in a very real sense, I'm also right now in God, in Christ, already in heaven. It's a done deal. Now, you ask me how to explain it, I don't know it. I, all I can say is I'm in Hendersonville, but I'm already in heaven. It's that, done a, that much of a done deal. So when you see that certainty of heaven, it ought to cause us to be heavenly minded. So let me read you a, a paraphrase translation that basically is hard to find now, but it's blessed me through the years. The Living Bible, look at verses two and three. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. You should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. Your real life is in heaven. Isn't that refreshing? We are called to be heavenly minded. We're called to be thinking about heaven. Put your mind on things above. So let me share with you four things that happen if you develop heavenly thinking. Number one, heavenly thinking helps you keep the right priorities. Heavenly thinking helps you keep the right priorities. Have you noticed that Christians are willing to risk their lives all over the world right now because they believe in Jesus? Christians give up of their money and their fortunes to be able to send the gospel to people around the world because they think of heaven and believe in Jesus. Jesus put it this way in Luke 9, 23. This is the eternal perspective. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? I've got a heavenly perspective. It doesn't matter what I lose here. It's what I gain there that counts. Jim Elliott was somebody who, had, who was heavenly minded. Uh, he was a sharp young man. He was president of his senior class in high school. He was a very popular student at Wheaton College, met his wife, Elizabeth, there. But he had a firm call from God to go to places that have never heard the gospel. So he committed himself after graduation to go down to Ecuador. And he found a tribe that had never heard about Jesus. He knew they had no hope of heaven because they hadn't heard of Christ. And so he went there. He was already engaged when he went, so about a year after he got there, he sent for his fiance, and they were married in the jungle of, of, of Ecuador. They had their first child, a little girl, within that first year, born right there. He and his four missionary friends kept reaching out to the tribe that they wanted to reach. They thought they had built enough bridge so that they could land their plane and befriend them, but they were all put to death immediately. Later on, Elizabeth would go with that little girl holding her hand into the village and win that tribe to Christ. Jim Elliott, Elizabeth found this in his journal, wrote these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, a man named Tim Chester has taken that quote and talked about it. He says, Jim Elliott has seen through the lie of consumerism. He's seen the emptiness of all this world offers. He had realized that far, the, the far greater value of the new creation that God promises. And then Chester said this, I have a friend who's an octogenarian. He was telling me how as he regularly walks along the River Thames, 
that he's gotten into a conversation with the man tending his garden in one of the big houses by the river. One day the man said to his friend, do you know who I am? It turns out that he was the owner of a chain of local garden centers. He said, I'm worth four million pounds. But then he added, but I'm 93 and soon I'll be gone. And what will it be worth to me then? And his friend said to Tim, when I walked away from there, I realized I'm far richer than he is. Folks, we've got to keep that perspective. It helps us keep the right priorities, make the right choices. Uh, just think through some of the ways people have applied this heavenly thinking. We have people who serve as missionary doctors overseas. And I so appreciate doctors. And Amal, you have done so much in oh, all kind of hours, even recently up in one of our members. It's a hard life when you're a doctor. Long hours, so I'm not making light of that. But if you're a doctor in America, you usually are paid well enough that you can live a comfortable life. But can you imagine somebody going through all of that training and then getting on a plane and going to a jungle somewhere and spending their life in those kind of conditions when they could have had this here? The only way they do that is because of heavenly priorities. I, I so admire Christian school teachers. We have people that go to college, do the studying, and they could have gotten a business degree, which would probably open up the doors for a little more prosperous life. But we have Christians who choose to be school teachers. And let me tell you something, you choose to be a school teacher, you are choosing a life of poverty. That's just a fact. They're some of the lowest paid people around. Why in the world would a Christian not do a business degree? And do, I believe it's because a Christian can see in perspective what is more important. But let me say this, I think the most important way that we can show the right priorities is so many of us now are motivated, guided, almost imprisoned by the desire to be popular. It's, it's, there's a new way of saying it, you get a like on your social media. And there are people who live or die by whether or not they get their likes. Folks, those who have heavenly priorities don't worry about what the world says. They have one person they want to hear well done from, and that's our Lord. And so they're heavenly minded. Now, can I give an emphasis since this is Father's Day? We're going to make an excursion a couple of times because of that. Fathers, I know that we men can get caught up in so many things. They're not simple in themselves. Golf, camping, fishing, all that kind of stuff. But can I remind you, you're not going to be able to take your golf clubs to heaven. That's a sad thing. But can I tell you this? You, you can have the privilege of taking your kids to heaven if you become the spiritual leader to them that you ought to be. If you're a father, why not put your emphasis, instead of helping them become the star of a little league, why don't you have them in church? Now, let them do little league, but don't take them away from church doing it. Make that a high priority so you can take your kids with you to heaven. Number two, Heavenly thinking is the only balm for the pain of grief, B-A-L-M. Heavenly thinking is the only balm for the pain of grief. There was a mother of a little girl named Emily, and little Emily was dying, and she started crying. She says, I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't want to leave y'all. I love my family so much. Her mother came up with an idea. She had the whole family walk out of the room, out of her bedroom, and shut the door. And then what she did was, first she had her father, this Emily's father, go in. And then she walked in. And then she had her older brother walk in. And then she had her older sister walk in. And she said, that's what you're going to experience. 
You're going to heaven. You're going a little ahead of us. But then daddy's going to show up and mama's going to show up and your brother's going to show up and your sister's going to show up. It's not permanent. We're going to see each other again. Thomas More said, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. This is Father's Day, and I can't think of Father's Day without thinking of my father. I had godly father and mother, but my father was so important to me. He was a heavenly-minded person who made it known to me the only thing he wanted me to do is please God. He didn't care what the rest of the world thought as long as I pleased God. I appreciate that spurring on spiritually. My father was the first person I had a strong attachment to. Later, my mother died, but it was the first real loss in my life. Right about the time that my dad died, I had just finished reading a book called Safely Home by Randy Alcorn. And that is a novel where he's talking about a Chinese Christian who is suffering in communist China now. But it goes from scenes on earth to scenes in heaven. And, and this Chinese Christian's father and grandfather are in heaven, were martyred, and are already up there. And we see as he goes through and suffers, and as he stands for, then it turns to heaven. I remember after one of the beatings, the father turns to the grandfather. The scene goes to heaven and said, our boy did well today. He stood true to Jesus. And that thought that, yes, my father's now in heaven, that made heaven more real to me. But the thought that he might be looking down and would hear me on a day like this and say, good job, son. And I believe, folks, there's biblical evidence that that's probably true because it says heaven rejoices every time a sinner repents. They may not hear of sorrows on earth, but I believe they get to hear of joys on earth. And so, folks, when you keep eternity in mind, when you become, when you have heavenly thinking, it gives you a balm for the pain of grief. Number three. Heavenly thinking keeps you from becoming bitter. Heavenly thinking keeps you from becoming bitter. Romans 8, 18 says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. He said, whatever you're going through now, God's gonna more than make up for it. Let me read you another Lewis quote. Lewis said, in quoting this verse, I reckon, said St. Paul, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. If this is so, a book on suffering which says nothing of heaven is leaving out almost the whole of one side of the account. Scripture and tradition habitually put the joys of heaven into the scale against the sufferings of earth. And no solution of the problem of pain, which does not do so, can be called a Christian one. So you've got to understand this, that God's kept the record. And any pain, any hurt, any sorrow that you've gone through, it's going to be more than made up for. But have you noticed, and I'm going to get real personal here, because I'm around older folk a lot. For one thing, I live in Hendersonville. <laughs> That'll do it for you right there. Uh, but have you noticed that so many people as they get older get bitter, get angrier? I, I think the reason is this. The reason they get bitter is because they've had so many disappointments in their life. The reason they get bitter is because their health is failing. And folks, you can't reverse old age. It just stops working. It just starts hurting. They get bitter because 
Most older folk remember every wrong that was ever done to them. And their bitterness increases as they age because they're not focused on eternity. They're saying, I'm almost at the end and it's not going to get better. And some of those that hurt me are gone and they can no longer apologize. And I don't expect the others to apologize. And so they end the end of their life as bitter people because they think there was a 70-year deadline for this to happen. I want to tell you something, folks. God has all eternity and he's promised this like a great scale. You take all of your pain, all of your sorrow, he'll put the joys of heaven here and he will tip it. (sighs) Heavenly thinking, number four, helps you cultivate the right desires. Heavenly thinking helps you cultivate the right desires. Chapter three, verse one, it says, seek the things above where Christ is. So I'm to seek the things above where Christ is. Now, 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 let me tell you something, folks. What makes heaven heaven is not streets of gold. Hey, folks, in heaven, gold's just pavement. It doesn't mean a thing. What makes heaven heaven is I get to be with someone I love, the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek the things above where Christ is. Paul said in Philippians 1, 23, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And one of the reasons we long for heaven is because we love the one who's in heaven. Can I give you an analogy? I know there are times that most husbands and wives have to be apart. We, we, uh, my wife, God bless her, is the best grandmama on this planet. And she has a calendar for when they need her. And there are times when we're gone. But if my wife can be gone for me or if I can be gone for my wife for days and I never once think about her, something's wrong with our marriage. If I don't get homesick when she's gone, for my wife, if I'm not longing to see, if I don't want to talk to her, something's wrong. And folks, if you're not longing for heaven, maybe it's because you're not in love with the Lord Jesus who's in heaven. So he says, set your mind where Christ is. I love that verse 23 again. It says, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Ah. Told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. But it's going to be far better. Now, I want to just be honest with you. I believe that heaven's going to be far better than I could even possibly imagine or describe to you. But I'm not one of those Christians who goes around moaning and groaning, oh, this world is so bad. I just feel like I've got to sit around and eat worms for a while because it's just, it's, just, it's just horrible now. Swing low, sweet Jerry. Get me out of here. I don't believe that. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. I am loved here. I'm loved by my wife and my family. I'm loved by my friends right here. I know joy here. We laugh a lot. I love the beauty that's here. So I'm not sitting here saying, woe is me, this is bad, let's get out of it. No, I want to tell you something. What I want to tell you is this, that everything that makes this life good is better there. If you think you are loved here, wait till you experience perfect love there. If you think you've ever tasted joy here, wait till you have perfect joy there. If you think this is beautiful here in the mountains, wait till you see heaven. So let me bring it to a conclusion. We're told to set your mind on things above. Now, let me give you a little Greek. The verb set your mind 
is in the continual present tense. In, in other words, I'm to continually be putting my mind on the one who's in heaven, to continually putting my mind on things above. Now, one of the things that happens when I study a text, God speaks to me. And God got a hold of me as I was doing this particular sermon. And I realized that it's not very often that I think of heaven. Part of the reason is I'm so busy taking care of y'all. I go home and collapse. So, you know, in a busy world, it's hard to stop. And yet he says, continually be thinking of heaven. Have you noticed that even white-haired people hardly ever think of heaven. You would think that when you look in the mirror and you got white hair, or should have white hair if you didn't die, <laughs> you would think that if you look in the mirror, you would sit here and say, you know, I ought to start thinking about that place. But most of us never think of heaven. And so what I've made a commitment this week I said, Lord, I'm going to try to take some time every day to think about heaven. And I've been doing it the last few days and it makes a big difference to actually stop and think about heaven, to keep that heavenly perspective and to think. I had a man who buried his wife who came up to me afterwards and said, you know, the first thing I do in the morning, I get my coffee and my first thoughts are, I wonder what my wife is doing today and I try to imagine what she's doing and what she's seeing today. But one more word to fathers. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. He is seated at the right hand of God. So when I look up to heaven, I'm also looking up daily up to heaven because I'll be reminded that Jesus is at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is reserved for the one who's in control. And one of the reasons why we need to look up and look into heaven it's because it'll remind us no matter what you are hearing on the news or reading in the newspaper or what you are facing yourself, he is still in control. Hey, I, I looked up this morning, I checked it. He's still in He's still at the right hand of God. We don't have to panic. But can I tell you this? Fathers, we've got to model that because they are saying that our children and our grandchildren are going through a pandemic of anxiety. And if we could be heavenly-minded people who know that Jesus is in control, what an example it will be in setting that for them. I'm going to close with the C.S. Lewis quote one more time. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. May God help us do that. Lord, I pray that you'll take your truth and change our lives with it. Friend, if you're here today and you're lost, you've never trusted Jesus, I want you to go to heaven. Whoever believes in him will go to heaven. So say, Jesus, I believe in you. Save me. Tell him that now. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.